Welcome to Dreamers to Leaders, Keeping It Real with Melody podcast. Melody is a foreign dreamer who started from being a flight attendant and worked her way up into now a tech fashion trendsetter, thought leader, and seasoned entrepreneur in multiple successful ventures. This podcast is for the awakened dreamer. Industry icons will share their humble beginnings up to the leaders they are today. Let's all learn and be inspired. Together, we can all prosper. Hello and welcome to the Dreamers to Leaders podcast. It's the podcast for the dreamers and more importantly, the doers. I'm your host, Melody. If you're one of those who want to reinvent yourself and pivot, especially in this crisis, and handle multiple careers simultaneously and effectively, this episode is for you. Joining us here today is Connie Schultz. She is a TV personality, a journalist, a producer, author of two books, namely Mis Hijos No Quieren Hablamos Español and Historias de Sandy. She is also the founder of Tintero Publishing. She's currently producing shows that tackle environmental issues. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Connie Schultz. Hi, Connie. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you very much, Melody. Happy to be here. Well, glad to have you here. So let's start. If you could share with our audience your backstory on how your life was before migrating here in the U.S. and being a TV personality. Well, very complex. <laughs> I have a big family in Mexico City. I am from Colima, which is a small town. And um, I have a good childhood, um, uh, except, uh, you know, my father passed away when I was six years old. And his side of the family was very into arts, into music, theater. And then when he passed away, I have to move back to Colima where the family was different, you know, and, and I keep missing, you know, his presence in my life. So as much as I was very happy and I have a huge family that are very Latinos and very loud and very warm, I guess I always, I was always missing, you know, that, that side of my, my father, um, you know, with, with the music and theater and writing. And, and I guess before coming to United States, that's what I was always looking for, you know, to make my life extraordinary again, somehow. Yeah. So very much into, um, like an entertainment, uh, type yeah. of, um, of background was well, similar, similar to my childhood uh, as well. Um, you know, came from a family who is also into the entertainment field. So I kind of get what you're saying where you want something like that. It's with you, right? It's within you and wherever you go, it's not home without it. So as you were trying to find you and that uh, creative side of you, how did you end up here in Los Angeles? Oh, well, well, that was a huge story. I, I went into a beauty pageant because, you know, that was, that was the first thing that you can do in a small town, go to a beauty pageant. And because of that beauty pageant, I won Miss Kalima. Then I went to Miss Mexico. I actually, I was in the Miss Mexico, Miss United States. You know, they, they, did, it, they did this uh, contest together for the first time many years ago. And I ended up doing modeling. So, um, 
as a model, I went to this uh, contest where a lot of companies from United States, you know, I don't know if you remember, LA Models, Wilhelmina, BBA, all these huge uh, uh, agencies, you know, from the 90s where Cindy Crawford and Claudia Schiffer and all those models were like huge. Yeah, the supermodels, right? <laughs> exactly. So I, I did that and, and I got a very good reception because I won um, a lot of, uh, I, I won first place and they invited me to come to United States and then 15 different companies were offering me contract. Japan, London, I remember Germany, United States, and I was only 17. So I was just like, oh my God, this is so easy, right? So I say no, because I have to finish high school. I say no, and my mom didn't, you know, let me come. But I always thought that, oh yeah, one day I'm just going to go back to the United States and I'm just going to knock at the door and, you know, it's like, hey, remember me, the model? The model, <laughs> but it the model that you gave a contract to? <laughs> yeah, not at all. I mean, back then I was, I was in Mexico, I was 17, it was a contest, I won, but I didn't take any of the contracts and I didn't take any, I just thought it was so easy. And then two years later, I came to United States, you know, looking for those opportunities again and I went and I knocked at the door and they're like oh sorry <laughs> not anymore <laughs> by then I was 19 it was pretty old and, and fat less than 50 pounds but to them I was already fat you know how the agencies work but anyways I was able to work as a flight attendant oh. uh, traveled between United States and Mexico and and then I moved to United States thinking that I could continue uh you know, working as a model, but like I said, it wasn't that easy that second time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. uh, so you became a flight attendant. How long? How long did you do that? I only did that for a year. So, with the ups and downs of trying to find you, right? So there were challenges, and um, you know, all those uh, adventures or misadventures <laughs> and misadventures. Uh, what would you say would be your biggest uh, learning? What was your takeaway with, with that journey and with the ups and downs that you have experienced? Well, uh, I, what I learned, what I, I try my daughter, you know, is that every time that I try to do something uh, new, whether it's moving to a different country, studying a new project, changing companies, thinking differently, or aspiring for a new dream, people keep telling me that it's not possible, that something's going to happen to you. Before, it's like, you're too young, you know, you don't know the world, and things are going to turn bad. Now, it's you're too old. It's too old for you. In the middle, it was just too naive. You're too structured. You're too wild. You're... They keep looking for adjectives for, to, to tell you that things can't be possible. And I keep making the same mistakes. They turn out really good for me. You know, I keep trying. Every time I have a new project, a new dream, I just go for it. And thank God, uh, it just continued to work for me. And the, the, the biggest um what I've learned is that you have to don't try. listen. Don't listen to uh, <laughs> to the naysayers no, and to those that are just pessimists. All advice, uh, be prepared. All of those things yeah, is important, especially your parents' advice. But honestly, just go for it because I've I started a lot of um, businesses. I 
I went into different venues. I'm being a choreographer, uh, reporter, TV host, entrepreneur, and the, is the only the the, the, the only um, the only thing that I continue to do is just to follow my instinct and go for it. Of course, I work hard. Very hard, but I go for it. And it doesn't matter how many failures, if you want to, you know, if you want to call it, that. Just get up, you know, and, and move on. So I learned that if you want to do something, you have to do it. <laughs> Don't listen to. That's right. So just uh, pick yourself up, shrug it off and then move forward. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Uh, as a little girl, was there ever a time where you said, you know, when I grow up, I would be this. Was there that classic phrase that you would replay in your head growing up? Oh, yes. Uh, well, when I was little girl, I wanted to be a doctor or a singer. Uh-huh. And uh, it turns out that I sing really bad. <laughs> but I, I I ended up doing that as well. You know, I was part of a, a band and I recorded a couple of songs. Um, but it was that, like you, like I said, you're looking at a way to express yourself. And when you're a kid or a teenager, you're not sure. So you just think that you want to be an actor or a model or be an in- astronaut, right? <laughs> but as you do that, then you evolve. And then you realize that an age is never going to end because what you're trying to do is to be creative, to express yourself. So as long as I'm doing something, uh, where I get a chance to create, I will continue to, to, to do that. But yeah, all the things I've done, you know, I just keep changing my mind. A singer, a doctor, I wanted to be a reporter, I wanted to be a model, I, I want to be a flight attendant, and I've done it all. Now, you know what, I'm starting to surf. <laughs> Can you believe that? Wow, wow. Well, here in California, that's, uh, course, that's yeah. a good hobby. That's a good hobby to pick, I would imagine. Maybe yep. I should... Um, hang out with you and, and pick that as a hobby as well. <laughs> you should do that, yeah. And they say it's very good for, for your abs, right, to, to surf? Yes. Boy, it's, it's good for everything. It's good for everything. The balance. Uh, and, balance, and yeah. And then you swim for a lot of hours. It's amazing, really. That's how I I also got connected to the ocean again because where I'm from, I'm, I live in the coast, you know, Mm-hmm. Close to Puerto Vallarta, Manzanillo, and then by surfing, I connect again to to my origin. With the water, with the water, yes. Right, right, right. So, flight attendant, author, um, yeah. journalist, choreographer, entertainer, TV beauty beauty um, pageant winner, uh, with all the things that you have juggled. Um, was there anything that was um, that you would consider your favorite, like one of your favorite um, career that you have uh, that you have done or doing? Yes. Dancer. dancer, dancing, definitely, definitely dancer. Yeah. Oh, nice. So, much so uh, what uh, what type of uh, dance? I started with uh, ballet, classic ballet, classic ballet, uh, contemporary, then jazz, but eventually I went into ballroom. You know, all those samba, salsa, mambo, tango swing and uh, and then 
as I was working in California, then I have to do hip hop and all the, you know, the crazy. <laughs> yeah, the crazy I have type of the new, uh, of the new genre. <laughs> yes, I, I love dancing very much. So, okay, as a single mom, uh, how many kids now, uh, Connie? Two. Two, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is usually a topic of interest amongst a uh, working mother. Yes. So is there like particular hack that you could share with our audience that has helped you juggle and manage your, the work-life situation? Work-life with kids? Yeah. Work-life balance. It's so hard, you guys. It is so hard, right? I mean, I love my job. I always, um, I I wanted to evolve, become a professional. And I love my kids so much. And I'm always struggling, you know, with making the decisions. Uh, Of course, my kids are always going to win. And from many, many times, I have to put my career on hold to be with them um and it's been so much joy but very hard because i see my colleagues are you know the guys the males that they they just just keep going you know straight i mean i don't want to generalize but but or or other of my co-workers that have no kids and they can be in their you know job 24 7 and then i have my daughter and then i have to you know, stay out of business for you know, a little bit. And then my son was born with autism and he required a lot of attention and therapies and I have to put my career again on hold. So I guess that was tough for me because I am a perfectionist and I was going to like succeed. But then I realized that um, we say something in Spanish to say, um, Los tiempos de Dios son perfectos, which is on something like God time is the timing that God has for you is perfect, right? So then I realized that the joy that my family, my kids give to my life, it's much more important, you know, than anything that I could accomplish. And I guess being in peace, you know, and giving my family, their time, and my business, their time, that's what gave me some peace, peace of mind. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, what I'm trying to explain is sometimes I was with my kids, you know, and there were babies, and I was thinking, oh, my God, you know, I'm missing so much more in my career, and I'm the only one who's not there right now, and I wasn't enjoying my kids at the time, and vice versa. And I was working really hard thinking my kids are alone home, and it's their you know, it's close to Christmas or Thanksgiving or their birthday and I'm not there. So just given, give it each, um, each thing their time. That's the best advice that I could give anybody is like when you're with your kids, just love them, adore them and enjoy that moment because they grow so fast and you're going to miss it. And then when you're in your business and you're in a business and enjoy it, you know, whatever that, what time is sometimes life is always changing. So it's not like, you're always going to be home or you're going to be in, in the office. So right, that right, works right. Well, you make it look easy, though. I know it's, uh, it looks hard. And I think most women and society, I feel, doesn't really give the, the proper credit <laughs> to, uh, to, to working mothers, right? I mean, the juggle. And, um, and as you said, for the most part, we um, 
sometimes would have to put our career uh, on hold uh, and not really go full blast, right? Because of of um, the other things that are also, of course, um, important or more important, you know, as a right. mother. And you have to make it with a smile because if you complain, then you're, you know. That's right. Yes. With a brush on, right? <laughs> with a brush on. With the, with a manicure and, and all that, right? All the things that have to go with looking put together, right? Now let's talk about your your publishing company. So right. uh, you founded uh, Tintera Publishing, yes, um, and you do so much uh, for for that company from uh, from being an author, ghostwriter, um, doing formats. You have people working. Uh, for you from different parts of the world, how how did you how did you um, end up doing doing this type of work? Um, it just all started by me writing a book, my first book, and uh, after I did that, I realized that in the United States there's a lot of um, Spanish speaking people, and there's not a lot of enough books right in Spanish. So I wrote my first book and I found it's a lot of authors out there who are willing to write their stories and they just came uh, for me for advice, consulting, and I start helping, I start editing. Um, and little by little, it just came a business because I think there's an audience out there who, who, who needs that, you know, most of the people from other part of the world uh, who speak Spanish, they're not, uh, they're willing to, to send the material over here. And the people who are, uh, here, either they're Spanish speakers or bilingual, you know, what I'm trying to say is, um, there's a lot of writers over here that are not going to travel to other countries to publish over there. They want to do it over here. And there's an audience over here. So I start to do that for, uh, promoting others, helping them to auto publish. Uh, published some books for them and then just the people started to come you know designers approach me other writers or other editors clients and it's just because I think there is a market there's a need for that mm -hmm. and then I start to get people in English like like you can tell English is not my first language right and I'm like, I don't publish books in English because that's not my first language and then you can go to one of the millions of publishers over here but no they they wanted me to do that uh, most of them are, are uh, probably latinos or mexicans who want to write in english but they want to be with someone who understands you know the background so i now am starting to publish some books in english and i have a, a group of people who are helping me like you say all over the world i have a very good team and and now it's it, we're doing a lot, you know. I, I have a lot of customers, and like you say, interviews. So it's, it's really working really good for me. It's called Tintero Publishing. Yeah, how did you come about with that name, Tintero? Because it's the ink well, you know, the ink well, mm -hmm. uh, like the ink well, to right? <laughs> I don't know. I just I like it. I like the music of it in Spanish. Mm -hmm. uh, so what do you say to, uh, to those who really want uh, to, um, to publish their first book? What do you say to them? Where do they start? How do you go about publishing your first book? 
everything in life starts with one idea. So as long as you have the idea, you're in the right place. Second, there's nothing most important in the world than a good story. I'm sure there's a lot out there For who sure. have uh, their ideas and they want to put it in writing. And sometimes it could be overwhelming, you know, to think, you know, where do you start? So what is the second book about? Oh, it's Today's the Sunday. Um, this is a, a um, these are just stories for kids. Oh, okay. When my when my son was uh, very young, he has autism, so um, he has many many fears, and one of his biggest fears was uh, dogs. And I have two dogs, so he was very afraid of the dogs, his own dogs, and he wouldn't want to leave the bedroom just if the dogs were around. So I was very um, uh, I, I didn't know what to do, you know, for, for him to. I mean, there both part of my life, my dogs and my son. So I started to making up these stories for him where the dogs have a personality or a life or feelings, you know? So, so Sandy, that's the name of my dog. And then she would be like, uh, oh, well, now she's worried and she's hungry and she's tired and she's sleeping. So as I started to, to give the dogs, you know, feelings and ideas and emotions, then he didn't see them as a threat anymore. And then those stories became a book, you know, the stories of my dogs. Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. So uh, in a way, um, it, it was inspired uh, by, by your son. It turned out to be very good because I realized that it was very helpful. Uh, now he likes the dogs. And through that way of uh, teaching, I was able to accomplish a lot of things with him. And that's why I thought that it should be a book as well, you know, because when many of the times when kids are afraid of things, as they see uh, whichever their fear is with emotions or they turn it into something funny or something silly, then the fear fades away. Uh -huh. I think that's also the same with public speaking, right? Uh, oh, they yeah. say when you're <laughs> when you're speaking in public, you kind of think of silly thoughts with with with, oh, with the audience, yeah. <laughs> you know, right? And that helps you be calm that's and uh, just when be yourself. Agent, uh, one of my friends, I was I was seventeen, so I was really afraid. And one of my friends, I guess she was Miss Donor or Miss another Miss, right? She's like, you know what I do. I pictured um, <laughs> judges naked. <laughs> to your point about the book and if you have fear, so with your son, um, you know, kind of putting a little bit of uh, comic relief <laughs> yes. would help. It's always usually they say laughter is the best uh, best therapy, right? It's the best medicine. It's the best and cheapest <laughs> therapy. Um, now with, so now, um, I'm excited to hear more about uh, your current project. Uh, so you're producing a series of uh, shows that tackle environmental uh, issues. So right. I think that's profound and very timely. So share more about that, uh, Connie. I am so excited about this because as I was mentioning to you prior to you know the interview, uh, for many years I was on television and 
I never thought that I was doing something useful, you know, that I was saying something with message because, you know, when you work for corporation, the message is very structured. The less you say, the less you think. If you're too smart or too funny, then you're like right in the edge, right? It's like, don't say that, don't go there, don't push buttons, you know, or sponsors always. And I always wanted to talk about things that matters and I was never able to. And now I am, I'm producing and writing um, this series where I go to different places in the world and I find people who are doing something good for the environment and I tell the story. It's that simple. See, I've been concerned about the environment for a long time and I don't know where to start. I want to do something is like, should I do plastic or paper or, you know, solar or what the heck do I do? Is this so much information? Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I just thought, well, I do what I know what to do to tell stories. So when I found someone who's worth telling their story, I go and I interview and I make a story about them. And my last one was the mermaid of Nassau. And this is a girl in Nassau, Bahamas. And I was there. And I, I met this girl who uh, was diving in the ocean and removing pounds of trash from the ocean, you know, by herself. And then she started talking to the community. And then she went to the beaches and started doing that. And I thought that her story was worth telling. And that was the first episode of many others that I'm working on. But even before that, I was doing something... Um, and in Spanish, it's called Notas el Cambio, which means, do you notice the change? And this is the, the climate change, right? And then, but back then, when I was working at the news, I was looking for bad things happening, right? It's like, these things are happening, they're damaging the environment, and what are the things the kids thinking about that? So I will go and interview kids to see their perspective. But now I'm looking for good things happening. And and see what other people are doing to improve and see if we can get inspired and follow their lead. Wow, uh, such a worthy, uh, worthwhile cause. And uh, I hear you on, um, sometimes you feel like you have a gag uh, order, right? When you're, when, when you're in media where you cannot really um, speak your mind. And I guess with, with your personality and with... Um, a personality like us, <laughs> it's going to be hard to not um, to be able to express uh, uh, y- yourself, right? Or to speak your mind. Um, so, so that is ongoing. What, what inspired you again um, in, in that, uh, in that venture? Well, I wanted to do this a long time ago. Um, uh, participate, be more active in, in the, the environmental and, I guess um, I didn't know where to start, what to do, how to help, you know, just recycle a little bit and, you know, stop eating meat, getting back to eating meat. Like I say, I didn't know what to do. And then, um, but I, I was very clear that I wanted to put, you know, it was like a, my, to, to do something about it. So I thought telling stories. So I go and I, and I look for people organizations or businesses or people who are doing something good and then I show it to the world and I follow their lead. Uh, now, after I meet this girl, after I went, because I went with her, she swims with shark, sharks, right? So I went with her 
under in Bahamas, and we were to actually the island uh, is called Javich. Javich is where Shark, you know, the the movie Shark was filmed. Do Joss. you remember Jaws? Jaws, really? Yeah, by Steven Spielberg. Yes. Uh-huh. So, I thought it was just in the back lot of Universal Studios. Once you uh, submerge yourself in the water, and then you see the corals, they're, uh, they're healthy versus the corals are not. Hmm. It, you know, it touches you very much. You know, you, we keep living this life where we don't think about what we're doing to the environment, to the ocean. We don't think about it very much because we don't see it. Hmm. But when you go there and you see it with your own eyes, it's impossible not to do something, anything, you know, anything from recycle, from recycle to cleaning, to changing your straws, to bamboo straws, you know, anything. That's true. Um, and after that, every time I was walking in the street, if I see a mask, a plastic bottle, I knew it was going to end to the ocean. I knew it was going to end the cup and some, you know, fish. And then I, I couldn't help but to pick it up. So I'm not just doing stories, but as I get involved with someone's story, then I continue to do what they're teaching me. In this particular case, pick up the trash, especially the plastic. So did you dive with her? Did you also experience that? Yeah, I did. That's wonderful. A lot of plastic is eaten by by the fish, by the birds, and now by the corals, because the plastic is so tiny, so little, that the corals are eating it. So uh, it's just... I'll invite you to look at the documentary or the story is called The Mermaid of Nassau. All right. Yes. Yeah, so we'll also share that um, in this episode. Um, so I think what you're saying is you really want to want to be part of the solution than uh, just be out there in the sideline and just um, just talk about, you know, the problem that the climate change uh, that's what's going on. So this is your you being a doer and being really part of the solution and using your talent as a storyteller and provide that compelling story to move people to have that awareness of, of really what's going on uh, in the environment and how we as society are, you know, killing, killing the, the habitat and causing so much havoc on um in our nature and the climate change that we are experiencing now, right? It's, it's crazy. It is because see the thing, and I include myself is that we see climate change. um, The temperatures raising so much, the oceans raising, like something is far away. And now we hear it so much. It's like a branding, but we still haven't done enough. We still don't have a conversation in our table, you know, with our kids. Um, I mean, and I think it's very important because we desperately need to change uh, the way that we live. If we don't do that by choice, you know, let's pretend that we use less plastic, we eat different, we... um we take care of the oceans. If we don't do that by choice, then we are going to end up changing our lifestyles in a way that, for example, if, if the temperatures are too hot or too cold, then 
the way that we live in a couple of years is going to have to be different, but not by choice. Not because we decided to live different in order to help the planet. It's because there is no other way of living. Does that make sense? People are going to have to migrate because hurricanes are going to be so, you know, so strong and the ocean is going to rise and and then we're going to have to change the way we live anyways. And we're seeing that with COVID, you know, with right. COVID, for example. Now, who would have thought that if someone says something like, now everybody has to wear masks, we're going to do it, right? But now we have to. We have no other choice. So that's exactly what I'm talking about. Is like if we don't do conscious decisions about how we consume, how we live, you know, how we uh, eat, then uh, things are going to have to change and it's not going to be up to us. Mm -hmm. So, so Connie, uh, how can our audience support you uh, with this awareness, this cause that you are actually um, bringing out with your, with your, with your stories and with the series that you are producing? How can we support you or how can our, and or how can our well, audience support you? I would love for them to, ch- uh, to go to my YouTube channel and they'll continue to see all the stories. But um, most important is to have questions, to go right now, you know, on their internet, on their browser, uh, to their family and ask, what can I do? What can I do? No, no, not what the world needs to do or the precedents what or the government. Can, yes. What can I do? Like little things, little ant work. Uh, what can I do? And the information is out there. It's everywhere. There's a lot of organizations that are they're teaching you, they're informing you. The press is not bringing it. You know, when we see this on the news, it's because it's already too bad. Something mm-hmm. bad really happened, you know, oil spill or something like that. But the conversation, you know, go look at the internet, see what you can do, and then try to bring the conversations everywhere to your work, uh, to your schools, to your kids, and eventually to your government and all of that. You know, like if you work in an office, how many cups are you going to use? You know, those those cups that they give you for coffee, how many are you going to Exactly. exactly. No, yeah, I, I agree. Name and continue to use it. Do you recycle in your house? Um, do, what you eating is, is sustainable? Mm-hmm. Things like no, that. I, I am. Uh, I'm hundred percent with you uh, on this one. It doesn't have to be gigantic. It doesn't have to be an epic uh, type of a movement or um, or an action on anyone's part. It could oh. be just that one thing where, you know, as you said, you know, recycle, don't throw crap in, in the ocean and just being mindful. Oh, exactly. If you if you're walking and you see something, exactly. you're not going to end up in the ocean, just just pick it up. Like nothing's gonna happen to you. And you know, one thing that's very important and very simple. When you search for these things, like as when you search for anything, if you search for fake eyelashes, then you'll see lots of commercials, you know, about right. it in Instagram, Twitter account, even in your email, right? So search for this, for ocean conservation, for animals, for the planet. As you search, then you get more information and they'll bombard you, you know, with 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 this. And then you see what's going on in other places and how we're affecting the planet, therefore what we can do. 
Uh-huh. And, and I agree. Knowledge is power and doing something about, you know, your passion and, uh, is actually, you know, what makes the difference, you know, with, with, uh, arming yourself with all the knowledge and doing something about it. Well, uh, Connie, that wraps up our show. That brings us to the end of our show. Just want to say thank you, uh, for, for your time and, uh, wishing you continued success with all the, the career choices that, uh, that you're making and especially with this, uh, newfound, uh, project, uh, that you have. Thank Stay you very well. much, Melody. I love the title of the podcast from Dreamers to Leaders. Dreamers to Leaders. <laughs>